This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio. Remember, Melton Law has 50 years of experience. It's the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators. It, they won't back down. They're a full-service uh, legal organization, too. So any kind of help you need legally, uh, obviously, you need to consult with our good buddy, Jeffrey Melden. The uh, Warthog Manly Command Center is protected 24-7 by crime prevention. Our good friends, John Pastore and Randy Elrad. You can worry a lot less with crime prevention security systems. Uh, contact them, cpss.net. And, of course, our mug shots with Maurice P. McDaniel and the uh, – 45,000 hits a month to take a look at what's going on with crime in the area. Uh, we've got a really good show here lined up for about a half an hour. We've um, corralled my good buddy who really got me kind of started in this radio business way back when. Um, and for that, I don't know whether to curse him or to damn him or to praise him. Ah. <laughs> but uh, Ed was uh, back on the radio with me, uh, one of the guys whom uh, I learned a lot from watching uh, him and his partner, Jake Fuller, run the show. And uh, they called me in to give a report on all the shenanigans going on. And we had a great teammate, of course, with James Bozeman, the maestro. So you're looking at the guy who's partly responsible here, if you will, for the Ward Scott Files. And has been a supporter of us. He's now chair of the Republican Party here locally. And has been, I think, the best mayor Gainesville ever had. When uh, Gainesville, and Ed, don't blush, please. But when Ed was the mayor, we had a powdered donut Wednesday and he would come in for a full hour and talk about the city events and issues. And uh, imagine that going on today with how low can you go, Bowtie Poe, the boy named Lauren. It, it, it just wouldn't happen. So I miss that rapport with the mayor of Gainesville because I think, as I say, Ed had the best uh, rapport with the community of uh, anybody we've had in that position for a long time. And I believe Ed served when we had seven commissioners, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. It was a full contingency of chaos at that time. So he had to deal with the three-lane Harvey and um, all those kind of people. And he did it deftly. So now he's our chair of our local Alachua County Republican Party. Um, once again, he's en route because at the college where Ed works, Santa Fe, they've had all sorts of server problems and we don't know what's going on. Maybe the Bugs have infiltrated our systems, but Ed's pulled over to the side of the road here. And we think we've got a pretty good connection. So I'm really going to uh, turn the, the, the program over to Ed and let him report. Uh, we've got a little organization. I think he's a very well-organized fellow. And he'll probably go from local all the way out to national as we speak. And any questions you have, uh, flash them up here on our uh, Facebook chat screen. Uh, Ed won't see him, but I'll see him. So, Ed, how do you feel about being, you know, responsible for what you created, sir? <laughs> <laughs> the monster called uh, uh, Ward Scott, or, or the, the warthog called Ward Scott. Well, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate the flattery, but you are sort of a, a tour de force 
uh, long before radio anyway in the community <laughs> you've done a lot of things and you've done a lot of things that have I think made the community better for people and made the political climate better for, you know, conservatives. So, uh, those were the glory days. We had a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, to the degree there's been any, you know, scratching below the surface to find out just how really awful the Democrat machine is in Alachua County, uh, you, you know, Ward, you were, you were on the front lines of that. You were really getting at stuff that was, going unseen and you know and unfortunately a lot of that stuff still goes unseen you know we have county commissioners that have you know one resigned because she was basically committing a fraud against the voters of Alachua county by you know saying she's you know lived in the district when she didn't um we have other you know commissioners that are sort of in the same boat and um you know a lot of this happens so it's not just on the policy level it's just sort of how how they hold on to power. And so, you know, our, our goal and mission is to uh, challenge that. Um, you know, you mentioned the city uh, of Gainesville when I was mayor, you know, that was a challenge. We had four, you know, progressives on a seven member body. So you start every single conversation in the minority and then, you know, is hopefully through good argument, through uh, sound policy analysis, we were able to, you know, put forward some center right things that I guess for the you know, pure of heart will never be good enough, but uh, I thought were pretty good. We say, certainly, I, I certainly put, say my fingerprints are all over saving the city, uh, well over a hundred million dollars, uh, from the streetcar boondoggle and the BRT you know, expansion project. All of those things were set to pass until I got in and you know, we were able to stop it dead in its tracks and, and really just even take it off the table as far as, you know, discussion goes. So um, those those were critical and it helped to have a show, you know, have someone like you, we could go on and, you know, talk directly to the citizens about, you know, so they could get away from the spin of sort of the bureaucratic, bureaucratic ease that tried to make all this stuff sound affordable and attractive. It's interesting because that's what we're seeing at the national level. You know, we hear Biden's big build back better plan won't cost a dime, you know, according to that. They're saying the same thing about, you know, BRT and streetcar for Gainesville. Oh, yeah, it says $115 million is a capital project outlay, but it's, it's really not going to cost that because it's going to attract all these businesses downtown. And, you know, we'll have well over $100 million in new tax revenue. And uh, that's what we put up with 10 years ago, you know, eight years ago. And that's what, you know, we're still facing today. Well, you know, Ed, uh, you just demonstrated the uh, rational mind at work. And you talked about how you were able to get some things done by reason and skilled debate and argumentation uh, procedures. The city bothers us now, as long as we got you, let's just talk about the, the sorry, sorry state of affairs financially of the city where if I understand this correctly, there are not even records available for outside auditor to audit. Yeah, it is so bad. I mean, it has been a catastrophic collapse of the city's finances. Uh, we used to all say it was just GRU because once upon a time it was, it was, you know, the biomass boondoggle that drew the city's finances off, off the track. But now it's the general government side too. They, 
you know, one of the things the, the sort of the new regime did was they got rid of the auditor. Uh, when I was the mayor, we replaced four of the six city charters. And we got an auditor who was really, you know, all about brass tacks and numbers. He didn't get into the political game. He certainly did not get into trying to make funny numbers work in order to assuage the, uh, the political ambitions of the commission. And he was gone. They got rid of him. And then we all know they uh, finally got uh, fired Ed Belarski, who I also brought in as the general manager of the utility, who was a nuts and bolts guy. And he was a you know, fiscally sound manager of complex, you know, uh, institutions. And he knew what he was doing. And they really hammered him until finally they got the vote to dismiss him in a very disgraceful you know, snap, you know, toss something on the agenda without public notice, sort of like your you know, meetings before the meetings where they would decide things. They had that thing planned out of the sunshine, I'm convinced. And then he shows up for work and they fire him. Well, he's now running, you know, for mayor of Gainesville. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out. But but what is interesting is two other people running for mayor, uh, you know, the the Harvey Ward and um, the David Ariola. I mean, folks, hang the city's finances around their neck. Uh, make them wear it because they have wrecked the finances. They have wrecked the city's budget, and it has impl implications. I mean, it's, it's one thing you know, we can sit out on the outside the city limits and sort of just you know laugh at uh, how how bad it is, but this affects our ability to deliver. The you know, city services. It certainly affects our ability to uh, keep and maintain good public servants. You know, we have a lot of men and women who work for the city who are not political at all. They 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 do everything they're supposed to do and they do it well. And they are looking at a sinking ship. And so when to, I'm sorry to sort of get off on that, but to get back to what you said about the finances, you know, the state auditor. Uh, came to look at the city's books and probably for the first time in their office's history just sort of threw up their hands and said, we can't make any sense of this. We, we can't make any sense of what the city is doing with its money. Two of the seven people who have put us in that position are running for mayor. It's insane. Well, that's very well spoken as usual and a great summation. And as long as we're on the city, which you know very, very well, and I think that's one phase of our discussion today. Are you with me, Ed? Or did we lose him? The picture just changed. I hope I didn't lose him because he was really doing very well. Um, and I've lost my production guys in the background. I think I'm still alive and I'm talking. But anyway, uh, we're talking with Ed Braddy. I'm, oh, here, there I am. Yeah, you're back. I was just uh, talking about you behind your back. No. <laughs> No, what I was saying was um, um, the uh, summation that you gave is, is typical of the way your mind works, very well-ordered and disciplined, and that's part of the way you've been trained to think and part of your job. And it's really miraculous that you haven't come out on the other side of the coin as a liberal because they claim to be the intellectual elite, <laughs> and, and yet they don't use their skills the way you know we're talking about using them. I got a question for you because this is a hypothetical. 
but it's been brought to my attention as long as we're on to the malfeasance of the government of Gainesville. If that's the correct word, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is now a movement on at least a very primitive grassroots level, and I don't think it'll work and ever happen, that really GPD cannot run its own police department even, and the Alonso County Sheriff's uh, should be the police force for the entire county, given the behavior, the political intrusion into policing that obviously you have with city government in Gainesville. Do you have any thoughts on that or did I surprise you with that? Well, that's a surprise. I have, I have not heard that. I would say there is a model that has been used in this community before that has never you know, been done all the way, and that would be the the merger model of merging the fire rescue departments, the Gainesville and the county. So I would say there is, you know, precedent for that level of discussion. I don't know if it's doable, though, because the sheriff being a constitutional officer uh, and the police, the Gainesville Police Department being a subdivision of the city, uh, the sheriff, you know, gets its budget from the county. That would almost then, by default, then make the GPD under the authority of the sheriff, under the authority, or at least under the financial control of the Alachua County Commission. And I don't think that would be a very attractive prospect either. Well, obviously, it's a discussion that may never have any wings to it, but the frustration is probably valid, and that is the political legislation of the uh, police uh, force in the community. Um, I always have suspected that this whole thing had happened on homecoming weekend when Tony Jones had to go out with Gigi Simmons to the rap concert, it ended up in violence. Never was properly permitted, uh, never really ran through the process. And that was a commingling, if you will, of politics and police work that really made this argument have a little bit of, uh, you know, validity to it you know yeah well well the most obvious thing has that has happened has been that politics has sort of seeped down through all of the departments not just the police i can't tell you how many uh employees who do stay there are just thoroughly demoralized by how by the political football being tossed around at all levels of government it's not supposed to be that way and honestly ward i think part of it is this what what the elected body has done, I mean, we talk, you know, they, they may self-style themselves as smart and intellectuals, but they don't know what they're doing. They have taken a council manager form of government, which you know intimately because you were a manager, and they have uh, really abused the role of the elected body. It is it is not to be micromanagers. It, 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 well, first of all, let's just say, if you are a political person and then you are trying to look over the shoulder of the police chief or the public works director or the parks and rec director or anything like that, it will over time become political because that's your nature. And so we had a system that kept it separate. The political body met not every day, not twice a week, met once every couple of weeks and broadly decided policy and then turn it over to a professional manager, you were one yourself, and you implemented it. And then we held you accountable. And if you didn't do your job, we could get a new manager. And if you did your job, then you kept the politics from seeping down to the other levels of government. And that's gone. I mean, that is unfortunately gone. And it is having, 
you know, I use the word catastrophic already. I don't want to, you know, you be too hyperbolic, but Ward, it is having an awful effect. And, and then, you know, I think the same is true at the county level. I think it may not be as bad, but I do think the county commissioners do not know how to stay in their lane. And I think it, it also can affect, um, you know, government programs, which then become services to the community. And so it gets politicized. And um, I don't think the, the people of the community are well served when that happens. Well, and the other thing you'll, I'll just add to that, having been a manager, is what happens is when the commissioners, uh, for political reasons, do an in-run around the manager and go to the heads mm-hmm. of these departments and try to uh, cajole them into doing something that they want done, and then if the manager complains about that, they fire the manager. That's Which right. The history. I told Russ Blackburn, this is going to happen to you, Russ. I mean, if you really do your job well and you checkmate them so that they can't do an end run around you as you try to do your job, they'll fire you. Which they did. I mean, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, it puts it puts the professional staff in a very awkward bind. Um, but you know, and, and you know, I always say say people running for office. If you get elected, you're wearing three hats. Okay, you're wearing a um, sort of a, a a leadership hat, if you will. Um, you are there to advance policy. To you know. Uh, you basically uh, take on what you try to implement your pot, your campaign of what you ran on. If you ran on lower taxes, if you run on, you know, less government, you know, boosting the economy, that's what you do. The second hat ward is your representative hat. You represent a specific geographic area. And so you need to be attuned to the needs of that area, responsive to the uh, citizens of that area. And then the third hat is a fiduciary hat. You are responsible for the city's finances. Uh, when I was mayor, I signed the budget. I signed ordinances. I did those things. I was, I felt responsible. Even if I didn't draft it, I wasn't in the city attorney's office. I made sure I read it because you have to know what's going to happen. You have to know your numbers work. And I, I have to tell you, I think they have suspended all of that. They even, you know, the city, at least they hired policy analysts to work directly for them instead of through the city manager. So they're doing that end run you're talking about. Obviously, they, they think they their constituents are everyone from the city of Gainesville to Bangladesh. You know, they're, I guess, world citizens now. And then, then lastly, they have just completely abandoned their fiduciary duty. I mean, that alone should sink the campaigns of Harvey Ward and David Ariola. Just the fiduciary piece alone, uh, because it is so awfully managed and awfully handled. Well stated as usual, talking with Ed Brady, who's now the chair of the Lotsville County Republican Party, who has been the mayor of Gainesville and also a city commissioner. So he really knows very well that of which he speaks, and he speaks very well about it. Um, we're trying to negotiate a deal with uh, Ed just to appear sort of maybe bi-monthly uh, on the show because we want to let you hear him uh, and uh, let you hear directly what he has to say. Uh, and this is another um, kind of function of the Ward Scott Files is to get you to um, the source of information that you can factor in. It's your decision as a citizen what you do. And we're very and you, spend, 
Can, can you send uh, donuts by like emoji? No, or something? I thought of that, Ed. I thought of that, and it got to be so bad or good that whenever I would go into the donut shop, they already knew that you were going to be on, and that was the reason I was coming for the uh, powdered donuts. And uh, uh, that was really funny because the whole community, even down to the donut makers, uh, began to realize they're about to hear from the mayor. Um, and it was always a very straightforward, candid uh, conversation. I think you know that I trained under you, so it's not going to be anything but that. It might not be yeah. what one wants to hear, but by golly, it's going to be what you may need to hear. So um, right. let's talk about what's going on. Any other uh, of your purviews here that you uh, wear so many hats of, um, you know, anything going on, you know, it's a, that you're involved with as a party that you can share with us? Well, sure. I guess we should talk about the party. Uh, we, you know, of course, have local campaigns coming up. We uh, are filling, you know, we have challengers in the school board race, all three races. We're going to try, well, actually there's four, so we're going to try win them all um, and, and get some good leadership at the school board level. As, as most people know, uh, the governor appointed Mildred Russell uh, to be a school board member. She's been doing, I think, a fantastic job. And so there's going to be a big target on her by the, by the political left to try and, you know, take her out. But, um, fortunately, there are other candidates who are running. It was same thing with the county commission. We're going to fill all those seats and challenge Democrats. And we also have a brand new government appointment, uh, or governor's appointment. Sorry. Um, um, Ramey Eagle Glenn, who happens to be our state committee woman, was appointed uh, last week by Governor DeSantis uh, to fill that seat. I, I know she's going to do a fantastic job. She is a rock solid conservative. We're very proud of her. And I uh, personally thank the governor um, because I went up there last week myself and hand delivered our uh, invitation to be keynote speaker at our annual Ronald Reagan Black Tie Blue Jeans Barbecue, which will be on October 13th. Now, that's not the first time I communicated with his office. His appointment and scheduling team has a pretty you know, elaborate, you know, you do forms, you do calls and all that. So we've been hitting that hard for a couple of months, but I just couldn't resist the opportunity to drive up there and, and you know, hand it to him in person. Uh, which he promptly handed off to his scheduler, as you might expect. <laughs> uh, but, you know, shook his hand and thanked him for his appointment of Ramey because it was on the same day, and he appointed Ramey uh, to that position. So that was super neat. And uh, so we're working hard on that. Of course, there are then, then state houses, congressional races, and Senator you know, Rubio's up. So, you know, Republicans have candidates to vote from all up and down the ballot. Uh, we feel really good about our efforts. I know locally, I can say, uh, the ACR, uh, the Alachua County Republican Party locally will spend more resources than we've ever done for school board races. And it's unprecedented. And I'm, we put it together. We've sort of, uh, we haven't been out waving it all around, but we are ready to go. And, uh, and so in, in honor of that, uh, or in recognition of that, we are having a big celebratory campaign kickoff next Thursday. And we invite everyone to come who wants to help Republicans. Um, it's going to be at a, the Alachua County Republican headquarters. 
the um, the website to get the address. The easiest thing is just remember a website, alachuarepublicans.com. All one word, alachuarepublicans.com. But the address is uh, 1722 Northwest 80th Boulevard, Suite 70 here in Gainesville. It's right, basically, it's Fort, right off of Fort Clark Boulevard. Um, but again, the easiest thing is the website. But we're going to, it's going to start around 630. I'll have food and drink, uh, but we'll invite people to come to our headquarters, see how we're set up to help. We're going to have, you know, a lot of the candidates who are running for, lo- for local office there. So hopefully we can just, you know, point people say, hey, there's a candidate, you know, how are you going to help them? You know, a lot of candidates have to raise money still. Uh, people need volunteers for knocking on doors and making phone calls. So it's going to be fun. But most importantly, Ward, we are going to have a special guest speaker for that event. And we're going to have a special honorary designation of headquarters for the campaign season. And again, we haven't done something like that before, but I think it's going to be really neat. It's going to be it's going to sort of get, I think, get people fired up and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I invite everyone to come. It's Thursday. Uh, June 30th at 6.30 at the Alachua County Republican Headquarters. The address is at alachuarepublicans.com. Well, I certainly think that um, if you play your cards right, maybe we can do a a remote podcast or video it and play it back because um, I've been waiting along with the other members of our community who speak with me from really all sides of the community, as you know. When are we going to have a big splash and a big uh, footprint of the Republican Party here. Probably the timing is better than it's ever been, given the frustration we have at the congressional level uh, mm-hmm. for the Republican Party to really come out and, and thump its chest. Uh, uh, the Democrats have been stealing this thunder for quite some time, and they've had, you know, as you know, the press on their side. But we are the press. Uh, I am considered media. I've even been referred to that in public uh, comments in the courtroom. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, my, my presence even shut down the deposition of one Ken Cornell because I was the press. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I am Larry. legally notified in the court documents as the press, as the media. So uh, you certainly want to tie in with us, and, uh, and we'll talk about that when we're off camera here a little bit more and try to fine-tune it. Talking with uh, Ed Brady, who's now chair of the Alachua County Republican Executive Committee, which is the party and has been the mayor, in my estimation, the finest mayor we've had uh, in the city of Gainesville, who unfortunately doesn't seem to be duplicative. Uh, we can't get another Ed Brady somewhere. Um, and some people might shudder when I say that, because imagine if there were another Ward Scott. My golly, how horrible that would be for so many people, right? But uh, we're just teachers. Basically, what it comes down to, I think... Ed and I share, we're just teachers. Uh, We work in the system, but we're not um, mind contortionists. We don't try to twist everything into a conclusion that we want to reach. We really learn the process of reaching conclusions fairly. I know I've practiced it for my entire professional life, and I wouldn't be talking to Ed this way if I didn't think he hadn't too. And therefore, I have a lot of respect for that type of mind that has that kind of discipline because I don't see it anywhere, Ed, on the Democrat side. If you know somebody who has it, please share it with me because I can't find it, sir. No, they're they're uh, bread and butter or platitudes and cliches, and there's really no substance behind their rhetoric. And um, 
that's the world we live in with them right now. The January 6th so-called insurrection committee is a fine example. I mean, it's just a continuation of a narrative that really started in 2016 with the phony dossier and the intrusion mm-hmm. of the political world into our institutions where we are now. There's so little faith in our institutions. Um, they've all seemed compromised. They're trying to take apart the Supreme Court. It's that way or another. I don't know how much time you got with us, of course. That's your schedule, but we'll never have enough time. Uh, we're talking with, um, I always call him Mayor Ed Brady. Now he's the chair of the Republican Executive Committee. Uh, he's just announced some important things that I've heard for the first time, my own self here, as we say, in the country. And I want to expand on that as we get closer to that date. Um, Ward, Ward, I also go by Corn Pop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you like barbecue. And I know you like Biden's nemesis. Yeah, and barbecue's good too. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I'll come back. I will be happy to, you know, get back on your show more regularly now that campaign season's, you know, in full swing. And uh, yeah, we'll get the word out and do what we can. I just want to know is that a new version of the smoky hot? Smoking hot minivan, you're in there. Yeah, it's not not a smoking hot minivan anymore. <laughs> that's for sure. That was an old beast. But if you remember, it actually had racing stripes. So <laughs> I was uh, I was quite the the figure driving around you know, streets of Gainesville in that. The smoking hot minivan. Yeah, buddy. That yeah, but the, see, the kids are all grown, so I don't need that anymore. <laughs> Well, we'll let you go, buddy. Thank you for pulling over and talking to us. It all went really well. And um, I'll be talking to you off the air a little bit about what we can do going forward. And we need, to, right. get some of these can- we need to get some of these candidates on the show and let people meet them. So yes, um, sir. think about that, too. I'll help get your help on that. All right. All everyone, right. We're going to let you go. We're going to take our break here um, uh, for a moment and thank our sponsors and our donating people who are interested in keeping the Ward Scott Files viable and and uh, kind of a hot item in your life every day. So we'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, Thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Ward, that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. 
Help me! Help! Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott File. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center uh, inside uh, the Melton Law Studio. Uh, great friend and sponsor. Uh, attended a great event last night with uh, Jeffrey Melton. We're going to get involved with the Alzheimer's uh, uh, nonprofit here and try to help with our influence in the community to help that worthy cause. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and of course, um, uh, we just uh, talked with our good buddy. Um, I always call him Mayor Ed Brady. I use it to me. He's the best mayor we've had. And it's unfortunate we can't find another Ed Brady. But um, I'm sure the Democrats don't look at it that way. Uh, I do want to go back into now some things that the Ward Scott Files has been working on and uh, let you know that we have a second conviction of, uh, of one of the hapless souls who uh, mysteriously was invited to sign up from within the jail to vote and never ask or never even, I guess, um, was informed. We don't know whether or not he or he could. So he did. And now he's being held responsible for doing it. And it's always been a curious moment in justice to have a, a so-called outreach director, T.J. Pichet, uh, go to the jail. I don't know who invited him. I, I doubt any of the inmates in the jail themselves invited him. Uh, you think about that now. He just went and signed in. And, of course, this was under the uh, previous sheriff, Darnell. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not either. Um, she um, may have known about it, may not have known about it. And uh, in he goes and he signs up these people who are uh, not able to vote. And then now, of course, we find it through simple uh, inspections with any uh, kinds of general. We do a lot of that and our data programmer do that. So um, this second fellow who is uh, uh, admitted to being a perjurer and then you can get into the complications of this. Was he in there is such a thing as perjury entrapment, by the way. Um, but he is Arthur Lang. Uh, he is the second one. And um, if, you, if, if you think there might have been some mistake in his mind about whether he was eligible, <clears throat> looking at it from the supervisor's point of view, uh, there certainly shouldn't have been. On the other hand, what is the role of the supervisor elections is also to educate? Uh, do, you, do you educate or is that just something... You know, everybody here seems to be passing the buck. Uh, we made the same public records request of the state attorney that we made of the supervisor elections. We instantly had a reply from the supervisor elections IT people that said, we'll get it to you right away. They never mentioned any kind of fee to get it. Uh, we make a, a request after we run that story on the air uh, about 
six or seven minutes before the show is over, uh, in which I'm running the story, we get a reply from the state attorney's office that we're going to get you uh, those records that you requested, which should be the same records we just read on the, or we're reading on the air at that moment. And we'll let you know what the fee will be. Well, this never was proffered to us when we went to the supervisor elections. There was no mention of a fee. So here's what I'm trying to understand. Uh, one Brian Kramer, who's not yet dry behind the ears, is saying out of one side of his mouth that if you have any kinds of questions about being able to vote and you've been uh, uh, on the wrong side of the law, just let me know and I'll look it up for you. And then we get this, the proof, the smoking gun, that his hapless chief investigator is so overworked and understaffed that one has to wonder how in the world is uh, uh, something, somebody like Arthur Lang going to be able to stop the presses, if you will, at the state attorney's office for the overworked, understaffed chief investigator to go look up all the stuff there is on Arthur Lang to go figure out, I'm just using Arthur Lang as an example, to go see if he's paid back this and paid back that. And that's just one guy. What if you get inundated with 100 guys? What if 100 felons all of a sudden call to take up the V8 program, this fancy V8 program that not yet right behind the ears is offering? Who's going to do it? Who at the state attorney's office is going to do it? And are they going to get... Uh, we'll let you know, but there's a fee involved. Now, here we are, the press. Uh, we asked the state attorney for that which we asked the supervisor of elections for, for which we were not asked for a fee to get, but which we have been asked for a fee from the state attorney's office to get. And even if you think that's just a routine reply by the state attorney's office, nevertheless, it is a reply. And if I were a hapless soul like Arthur Lang, and I was trying to get through to the state attorney's office on the so-called V8 program, uh, how would I do it if I've got an overworked, understaffed, hapless, unhappy uh, soul like Gary Lloyd who ain't got time to go do it, and I've got a, 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 a record as long as my leg. Let me just read Arthur Lang's record, for example. Uh, it goes back to 1998. Uh, there's just cocaine, drugs, and delivery. So he was, a, he was a drug merchant. I mean, he was for years and he kept getting busted and going back for it. And it didn't make any difference. It's just what I'm telling you is part of the, see, a criminal, a criminal record for a criminal is like a resume for a, a professor applying for a job. Um, what have you done with your life? And what is that that you've done? What's meritorious about it? Well, in the criminal world, uh, hey, buddy, the cops have busted me and busted me and busted me, and it doesn't make any difference. So, Mr. Criminal Partner, you can count on me. The cops are not going to intimidate me. I mean, I'll keep delivering the coke for you, or I'll keep doing the bidding of the criminal world. And if I get busted, it's part of my resume, or what they call the sheet, which is the rap sheet. They call the sheet. So, here we've got cocaine, cocaine, cocaine for years. Here we got fleeing and eluding, uh, which is a felony, uh, and all the other things which go with it. You know, don't bother to get a driver's license. It doesn't matter. I mean, the law really doesn't matter because I don't operate the way 
law-abiding people do. I don't even think the way law-abiding people do. I will never forget what the public defender said to me after this was all done about Danny Rawling. If you, those of you who remember this incident back in 1990, when Danny Rawling uh, killed the co-eds, there was one unfortunate situation. I think it was Trisha Hoyt. I apologize for talking about it, but this is all public. When Danny Rawling went to Trisha Hoyt's apartment down behind Pat's Quick Stop there off of 34th and killed her and uh, then went back to his campsite, which was across the uh, uh, 34th and Archer and back in the woods there. And I realized that he had for, couldn't find his wallet. And he deduced that he had left his wallet in Trisha Hoyt's apartment where she was already dead. So he went back to the apartment to get his um, wallet. And while he was there, he had a glass of milk and a sandwich and did some other heinous things to the body of, the, of, the, of, of Trisha Hoyt, which I won't get into. And then went back to his campsite. So I was aware of that detail and I knew the public defender pretty well. And I said, man, now here is where the legal, the, the, the criminal mind is different from the, from the, shall we say, the straight line mind. So I said to the public defender, I said, wow, what courage Danny Raleigh had. Man, he was fearless. You know, he went back to a crime scene where he had viciously murdered the victim to get his wallet. Didn't he, didn't he realize that he could have gone back and the cops could have been there and this, that, and another? And his defender said to me, Ward, you're looking at this the wrong way. To Danny Rawling, it was just as if he had left his wallet at work and he went back to his work to get his wallet. He had no concept. Fear wasn't even in the cards. It was just that I got to go get my wallet. Now, this is what I'm trying to help you understand. Um, there is such a thing as a criminal mind. And, you know, our hapless fellow here, Arthur Lang, I'm trying to pretend that I'm Arthur Lang now. And I'm going to call up uh, the, the not yet dry behind his ears and try to get him who comes from a secluded, believe me, trust me, urban home where there were three squares every day loving parents. I know them, highly respect them, like them tremendously. Uh, but it was on the right side of the tracks. It was on the right side of the tracks. Now, do you, the, the question is, can somebody who's on the right side of the tracks understand somebody who's from the wrong side of the tracks? This has always been an eternal kind of curiosity. If you recall in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they were, and I'm just going to talk to the movie because a lot of people saw it. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid could not seem to be caught by posses. They always outfoxed the posses. And they'd gone down uh, into Mexico and they were there in that place where they were sort of hiding out. And they looked across at a posse coming. And there was somebody on the posse in the front. Hollywood dramatized it with a white horse. And Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid knew it was all over. And they even talk about it. Oh my God, we're not going to get away from that posse. 
because the good guys, the cops, have gone and, and hired the premier bad guy to lead them to us because the good guys would not know how to find us because they don't think like us. But that guy there leading them that they've hired, he can find us because we learned from him how to do what we do. So this whole V8 program and trying to grab a guy, like it's, it's just, it's, not, it's nutty. It's really kind of nutty because I'm just using Arthur Lang, who's the second guy who said, okay, you got me. What difference does it make in my life? I'll do a little more time. And, you know, he's, he, he has been, he's eluded the cops at one point in his past, driving without a driver's license, no big deal. If you look at the mugshots on the Ward Scott Files page, you'll find out every entry every day has at least one, sometimes more than one person who's been mugshotted for driving without a license. And that driving without a license is just the tip of the iceberg. It's called what we call scoff laws. You just scoff the law. I mean, the law doesn't mean anything to you. At least it doesn't mean the same thing to you. It means to a straight, so-called straight person, a law-abiding person. So this man has trafficked in stolen property. Uh, he's been a burglar. He's had grand theft. He's had fraudulent credit card use. He's resisted officers without violence. Um, uh, he's had grand theft. Um, hey, come on, come on. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? So factor in all this crap. And then the other thing that concurrently is all over the minds of the people, which I've been sitting on. I haven't been going to go to, into this document because I've got a document here, which is the, it tells the whole story really of the great mystery of the criminalization of the civil case with Rotos Riles versus Bossart. And I have finally gotten the okay to talk about it. And I'm down here to about 15 minutes left or 12 minutes left in the show. And so I'm not so sure I'm going to talk about it today. I, I apologize for creating a cliffhanger, uh, but I'm going to go into it. I'm, I'm, right now, I plan to go into it in great depth tomorrow. And th those of you who keep calling me and asking me who did it, why did they do it, how did the SWAT team come to be sent, um, I'm getting closer to being able to share that with you. And I think I can nudge you a little closer to it tomorrow as I go into the document and I have. And, and you can probably from there kind of figure it out on your own. But eventually this is all going to come out. And it, it, we're, we're just at the beginning of, of this story exploding onto the community scene. Uh, already you can see that it was uh, filled with falsehoods filled with misinformation. Um, I have to say from what I've read, most of which had been deliberately, you know, they're all red herrings. I suppose you know what a red herring's der derivation is. A red herring is a technique we learn in argumentation. <clears throat> because when you do what I do and you teach students 
to learn how to structure their thoughts in arguments. You teach them how to structure them properly, and then you teach them how to cheat on them because you have to be able to do both. Uh, in other words, they have to construct a, a, an argument being honest, using the techniques honestly, without any using any of the logical fallacies. And the logical fallacies are so time practiced that they have names. And uh, then they have to turn around and deliberately try to cheat the person they're arguing with. So they have to construct another presentation. And then that person to, that whom they're trying to cheat tries to catch them. It was such a fun thing to teach. I mean, and I learned so much from doing it for years and you can hear it. I mean, you better get up pretty early if you're going to try to debate me. Uh, I don't shirk from it. I enjoy it. Um, bring it on. Let's have it. If you, if you win, touche, you win. Uh, but you better know your techniques and you better know, you know, it's, it's not unlike in many, many ways what you do as an offensive coordinator on a football team. Uh, you take a look at the defenses that have been thrown up against you and you devise an offense to counter that defense. And the really good guys can do it instantaneously. Uh, the best of which of whom I know personally would be Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier can do it really without, he does it spontaneously. And he, uh, furthermore, he could do it from the sideline. <clears throat> it's very difficult to see the game from the sideline. So most of these guys have somebody up in the booth who's watching them and sending down things that they see. And then that coach translates it into behavior. Steve could do it without having to get input from the guys up on the top in the, in the booth up there. He could see it and he could do it. He could do it as a player. Uh, coach Graves would send in a play. And when he sent it in, Steve would listen to it and say, no, we're not going to do that. And then he would put his finger on the ground and draw the play, just like we used to do as kids. And when we had pickup games, which most of us played all our lives, pickup football games. We've done it as kids all our lives. We would do this all the time. And, you know, what's happened is, is the really good ones learn the structure and then learn how to nudge the structure into their favor. So when I say red herring, the where that term came from is the convicts, in order to throw off the bloodhounds, the bloodhounds would be released to try to smell the scent of the of convicts. The convicts would try, tie a dead fish to a string to the fish and to their trousers. And then that fish would be the scent that the bloodhounds picked up rather than the scent of the escaped convict. Uh, this became such a well-known technique that we use it in argumentation deliberately. We will create what is called a red herring. A, a deliberate diversion to throw the people off the trail. And this thing going on with Drotos and Riles and uh, Bossart is filled by Bossart, because I've read the documents, with red herrings. And the cops buy into it. The cops, honest to God, buy into it. And can't tell a red herring from the real thing. In other words, uh, it, it, it's really going to explode when you when you 
when this all comes out. Um, and it's the police department. It is. And as you know, I mean, I'm just going to save some of that for uh, a, a little bit later to to talk about it in a little more detail. And I'll do that. I am thinking now I will do that, that do that tomorrow. So because I want to go through this and take some time with it. Um, so I want to thank Ed for coming on today and talking about the sorry state of government in the city of Gainesville, but it is all over the country. Um, I was standing in line yesterday uh, to get a, uh, a, a sandwich and there was a fellow standing in front of me who uh, uh, was Hispanic and he worked, uh, he was from the Department of Transportation, but uh, he and I were just standing there. He was getting his sandwich before me. And when he got the sandwich and the, 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 the let's say it was a cheeseburger and fries and it was 15 bucks. And he turned around to me and I just, I didn't know him, but obviously he saw me as somebody he could talk to. He turned around to me and said, wow, $15 for a cheeseburger, hamburger. And I said to the guy, yes, we're holding on to this country with our fingertips. Man, that's all I needed to say. He came, of course, from a country that had strong arm dictator leadership, heavy inflation, all the things that we see now we fear are coming. And he said to me, you know, and I, you know, we hadn't even talked to each other that, that uh, except that two sentences. He said to me, don't these people in this country see what is about to happen to them? And I said, no, no, they don't see it. They don't see it. People in this country haven't been anywhere. The schools don't teach them anything much. Uh, it's all been politicized and it's got a, you know, kind of a, a fashionable now to run the country down and, and uh, criticize all the great, you know, just glosses over the Enlightenment and the Protestant Reformation and Magna Carta and all these great documents that came about as a result of really thinking about what's the best government model? No, they don't even know them. They haven't even read them. They're not even taught the things. They're just taught that the country's filled with a bunch of liars and, and uh, racists and all this stuff. You know, the guy said, man, you know, it, it better change or you're going to lose this country. This is just somebody in line getting an amber. And it just blurts out. It comes pouring out of it. I was at another function. That wasn't really a function. I was at another place. The same conversation came up. I mean, people shudder. They don't even, they're not even bothering to look at the January, so-called January. They turn the TV off. They're not in the least bit interested in it. They know damn good and well what the purpose of it is. They know Pelosi is a, uh, is a, has skewed the whole thing and they've been doing it ever since Clinton started off with a phony dossier and Brennan got involved and Obama and all that. You know, people have quit listening to this 
And if you examine the voting results, and we didn't get into that with Ed, had time allowed, we were going to do that. We were, but we had so many other things to talk about locally. Uh, that's going on. Uh, I hesitate to 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 believe that there is truly a a so-called red wave coming because I don't want to I don't want to somehow jinx it. Uh, but let me put it to you this way, and you can go test this conversation I'm having with you yourself. If it doesn't come, if it doesn't come, we have got real, real, real big problems. And I'm not talking about little piddly ones about, you know, do you drive an electric car or get that? that is, that's a huge one. But it's piddly when you consider the fact that there is actually a bill now. I don't know if it's going to see the light of day to protect the lives of the Supreme Court judges. That's, that is right close to chaos. And Biden's doing nothing about it. He's not even commented on it. Because they don't want a Supreme Court. They don't want an objective evaluator. And by God, we know the Supreme Court's not objective. It's infiltrated with politicalization. But it could get a lot worse, a hell of a lot worse. You could pack it. You could do away with it. You could threaten the lives, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think tomorrow, we're not 9.57 a.m. I think that's probably enough. Tomorrow, I'm going to get into the, the smoking gun. I've got permission to do it. I'm going to go through it. And uh, it'll be just one more little piece of our community puzzle that I will share with you. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second generation family owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers.